What are you sighing about? You didn't even laugh at my really funny pun. I was preoccupied. <sighs> it was really good, though. I should have saved it. You want to say it again? <laughs> well, it's not as funny when you say a joke a second time. <laughs> you have to ask me what I think about the chapter. What do you think about the, the chapter we're reading? <laughs> Well, you could say it's a departure from our last few. <laughs> I lied. It was funnier the second time. <laughs> and welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 22. Departure! <laughs> The, uh, the epigraph for this chapter is talking about Chade and his place in history in the Six Duchies. Again, we're assuming that Tom Badgerlock or Old Fitz is writing here. At least I'm assuming that. I think I am, too. And it's talking about how he has a, uh, a unique place in the royal family and how he was never acknowledged as a farseer, but he played an extremely important role in all of the farseers' rules, uh, ruling family and the royal family during their times. And it's specifically stated in here that who he was pales in significance compared to what he was. And as we know, he was the master of spies and the chief assassin and the advisor to King Shrewd. Right. It also goes into talking about how he emerged into visible life after hiding behind the walls during King Regal's uh, reign, the Pretender. <laughs> <laughs> and he put his services at the beck and call of Lady Patience. And she was able to draw on his established network of people throughout the six duchies, both to gather information and to distribute resources for the defense of the coastline. He, it's noted here that he struggled, or at least first tried to remain private, but eventually emerged into uh, the light right. and became took an active role in spreading information and the defense of the six touchies and reminding the folk of who the Farseers really were and who the real king was. Right, and he also tries to give them hope by spreading the rumors that Regal, or sorry. Verity and Ketrikin are coming back and they will lift the yoke from the backs of the people and deliver them from the evil that yeah, is of upon them. Taxation and warfare and all sorts right. of stuff. So right. it's also noted at the end of this that his many deeds are recounted and most accurate in the song cycle. Chade Fallstar's Reckoning, attributed to Queen Ketrickin's minstrel, Starling Birdsong. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> wow. wow. Robin Hobb spoiling the end of this, huh? <laughs> um, I think these epigraphs are always really interesting because we get a look, I guess, into how future people are remembering the past. Whereas as we read the chapter, it feels as though it's happening right now. It's it is a, a retelling, but it feels more real and in it. This isn't 
uh, look back at how things could have been and, you know, it's not unbiased. It's a moment in time, which I really appreciate. But I also really like the epigraphs for giving us that break of here's what people think later. And it is also something I believe a reader pointed out to us, but that this isn't super, I don't know. This isn't really something that is what everyone is thinking. The narrator has a skewed perspective because as we mostly assume it is Fitz telling these stories. So I think it is colored through Fitz's lens and his love for Chade. Yeah, a bit bias. Yeah, and his love for Burek and the people that are told these stories or his hatred for Regal. Mm-hmm. They're, it's interesting to see the shades of personality and to know that probably not everybody remembers this the, this way. The shades of personality. <laughs> I missed it and I said it. <laughs> That is a really interesting thing, and that's, I think, one of the parts of this podcast that I really like doing is trying to read between those lines and see from other people's perspectives, even though we only get one perspective. Right. I do want to point out real quick before we move on, something in this epigraph that is mentioned, I think, next chapter, more so or more in depth. I just want to touch on it here before we move on because it is like a chapter ahead and I don't want to forget or I I want to point it out and not have it be missed when we get to it next Mm -hmm. chapter. He says, there is much evidence to suggest that initially he endeavored to remain a private and secretive figure. His unique appearance, appearance made this difficult and he eventually abandoned all attempts. And this, as we assume, is Fitz talking about Jade here. And I believe, I think it's next chapter. It could be two chapters ahead. The fool points out to Fitz that when Shrewd died, Jade remained hidden. When Verity left and was missing and presumed dead, Jade remained hidden. When Fitz died, Jade emerged with anger and strove to put a real farseer on the air, on the throne instead of Regal. Chade is the one wearing what looks like Fitz's emblem on his forehead. So Fitz kind of gets like a reality check. And I just wanted to point that out there that even old Fitz is kind of pointing out like, oh, it wasn't for me. It's yeah. Something made him come out and it's because of his appearance made it hard to hide. (laughs) Right. So even with that, like reality check, he just kind of can't accept it because it's Fitz. Yeah. Right. And speaking of fits, speaking of dark moods, <laughs> we we join back with him drinking. This is a bleakness of spirit settled on me, one that remained unchanged by friendship or brandy. He could find no energy and no will to bestir himself. A real depression settles on him here. Uh, the depths of a depression here. Where he can't see way forward he is disgusted by himself but not saying that so he like lashes out at the world and the situation around him right and he i mean has to be tired he just is healing from this wound that was horrible it brought him to the brink of death again 
and he has now put his life on the line again for the Farseer line and is realizing that no matter what he tries, the cogs of fate keep turning him towards the future that they want, not what he wants. And he makes note that he was trying to test the limits of Birik's theory that while drinking could solve nothing, it could make the unbearable tolerable. It did not seem to be working for me. The more I drank, the less tolerable my situation seemed, and the more intolerable I became to my friends. He's sitting there with Chade, Kettle, the Fool, and Night Eyes is blocking himself from Fitz because he's drinking and he doesn't like Fitz drinking. Right. And Fitz makes mention that this is the third straight night he has been drinking. Right. So really trying to pick up Burek's habits. <laughs> Which, or at least wash away or <laughs> yeah, any, anything he's feeling. It's not great, but it is something that someone who feels cornered would probably do. He doesn't really have any other outlets. He can't skill out to the people that he loves to check on them because then they could be found by the coterie. And he can't talk to anybody about what he's feeling because everybody's kind of mad at him. And he's also not very good at talking. <laughs> to people so this is just him making the best of a situation and i feel really bad for him i mean did he make a lot of the choices to put himself in this situation yes unless you are to believe that fate solely is in charge of what has happened but i think it's a little bit of his own doing although at this point i kind of will let him have his pity party (laughs) it's been rough and his daughter's life is on the line And today's or this day's particular bad mood was brought about by Jade coming here and informing him that Queen Ketrakin has summoned him before her finally. And he has uh, allowed, as he's saying, I allowed that I would be there and he would be presentable. Yes. (laughs) Which discussion. Jade specifies means sober. Yes. (laughs) And then he also makes note that he asked accusing questions to Chade while Chade was just answering them calmly. That, yes, he had suspected that Molly had carried his child. Yes, he had urged Birik to become her protector. Birik had already been seeing that she had money and shelter. He had been reluctant to share her dwelling, but when Chade had pointed out the dangers to her and the child if anyone else figured out the circumstances, Birik had agreed. No, he had not told me. Why? Because Molly had coerced Birik into promising her he would not tell me of her pregnancy. His condition for guarding her, as Chade requested, was that Chade would also respect that promise. And so Fitz was never told of the pregnancy. Right. Initially, Birik had hoped I would puzzle out for myself while Molly had disappeared. He had also confided to Chade that as soon as the child was born, he would consider himself freed of his promise and would tell me, not that she was pregnant, but that I had had a child. Even in my state, I could see that that was about as devious as Birik had ever managed to be. A part of me appreciated the depth of his friendship, that he'd bend his promise that far for me. But when he had gone to tell me of his daughter's birth, he had instead discovered evidence of my death. And so, once he goes to the cabin, Fitz is learning here the steps that Birik took. He goes to a stonemason who passes along word and eventually meets Chade. Beer could not believe that you had died. I could not understand why you had still been there. 
I had left word with my watchers all up and down the river road, for I had been sure you would not flee to Bingtown, but would immediately set out for the mountains. I had been so sure that despite all you had endured, your heart was true. It was what I told to Birik that night, that we must leave you alone to discover for yourself where your loyalty was. I had wagered Birik that left to your own devices, you would be like an arrow released from a bow, flying straight to Verity. That, I think, was what shocked us both the most, that you had died there and not on the road to your king. I think this specific conversation between Chade and Fitz really made me feel the most sympathetic to Fitz that I have felt for his situation throughout the entire series so far. And I do feel sympathy for Fitz a lot of times, but I feel like I'm also pretty vocally hard on him. (laughs) But reading this expectation (laughs) is so much. Yeah. He literally just died. And it sounds like he's just a dog wet, ready to be released and run back to his master. Right. I don't know. It's and they're testing his loyalty. It just I don't love it. And I know that it's coming from a place of love and that ultimately they did need to give him space, even if their reasoning isn't exactly great. It still was something that needed to happen. It still, though, feels yucky <laughs> yeah. to to read this father figure of Fitz being like, yeah, we're, we weren't surprised, weren't surprised that you died necessarily, just that you died in the cabin and not on your way to the king. And I don't know. Something about that just really makes me sad for Fitz because it, I think it really drives home the point that he he feels stuck in this role and this is probably why it's not helping. They're not viewing him as a person who might have other wants who might want to just hide away in Bing town. Why wouldn't he? He's expressed the desire to be nothing and nobody before and run away. Right. And nobody's listening. And that makes me really sad for Fitz because his loneliness is Real. I mm-hmm. mean, not that it wasn't before or that I felt that it was less than before. It just hits, hits home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely hits home when you hear this. And to be fair to Chade, because I feel like I always have to give a little bit of leeway to everybody. <laughs> he doesn't know what Fitz went through in the dungeons. Right. So no one does. They just know that he had to fake his death, quote unquote, even though it was very traumatic and very real. But Nobody else has done it, at least in that group. Other people, I'm sure, have tried. But these people have not experienced what it's like to let go of your body yeah, and join with an animal's body. It, I'm sure that act in itself was traumatic enough on top of dying in a cell from wounds. Yeah, and that's like the least of the traumatic Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... I do really feel for Fitz in this, and I also understand that it's coming from a place of ignorance and shade, but it does make me really sad for him. It also kind of forms a view of of how Shade looks at Fitz. Yeah. Because he really does place all of his hopes and, and beliefs and sees himself in Fitz there and maybe is living through him a little bit and expects the same as he would be as a child as Chade grew up to be instead of like as a young man. Right. Because Chade itself admittedly was 
vain and not all about that sort of thing when he was a kid. Right. He wasn't super loyal. And Jade spent, you know, 50 years or however long being loyal and being like the, the most loyal person to the Farseer throne ever. And he has that view looking at Fitz now that like the long 50 years and not thinking back to what it was like to wish for another life. Right. Jade is doing what he wants to do. Yes, he's extremely happy being out behind the wall from behind the wall and he's thriving now, but he's still serving the Farseer throne. And that's what he's like. Why isn't Fitz loving this life? Right. And I think that's that is what impacted me a little bit more in here is because you really get a view of how Chade thinks Fitz should act based on how Fitz or how Chade sees Fitz. Right. I also think it's interesting that Chade molded his loyalty into something he could tolerate and Fitz is unwilling to do that Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to find something he likes about being an assassin or doing this dirty work because all of it is wrong to him. And so I think it's just two different people coming at something. And so, you know, we just have an old man who does can't, ex- can't understand why the young man won't just grow up already. And right. I don't know. It, it is sad, but I do want to ask, do you think that Chade's loyalty to the Farseers is something that had to be skilled into him? Or do you think it's something guilted into him by the fact that his brother kept him alive for so long? I I don't think it was skilled into him at all. I, I really don't. I think at least I like to imagine that Chade is the way he is because that is his character. I think that mm-hmm. makes him a better character. Okay. I, I think a lot of the, and that's, that's partially why I don't love the, oh, maybe he was just skilled to do this. Right reasons and i've kind of fought back against that a little bit um over all of our discussions like was are you talking about fits in, in general any any character oh, okay. they were skilled to do this right you know i i fight back against those explanations maybe because i love these books for the character development and the characters themselves and that takes away some of their agency of the choices that they're making and maybe the complex reasons why they're making those or how they grew up. So it could be that he was skilled into it. I just choose not. I just choose to believe that's Chade himself, whether it was by guilt or some sort of Stockholm syndrome (laughs) kind of thing being trapped (laughs) in the walls or just a love for his brother and a want to continue the Farseer legacy because they had long conversations about the philosophy of, you know, the rulers and he and Chade went out to see the world when he did, quote unquote, die. And then came back to Buckkeep saying like, oh, it is better here, like with the Farseer's ruling. (laughs) So I don't know. I I feel like it's I I choose to believe that it is his character. That's a nice way to look at it. I guess I'm just a more cynical reader. So So I don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt ever. But Fitz gets, I mean, he's drunk here, but he gets a little bit of a snap back at Chade here saying, well, I declared with a drunken's elaborate satisfaction, you were both wrong. You both thought you knew me so well, and you both thought you had crafted such a tool as could not defy your purposes. But I did not die there. 
nor did I go seek my king. I went to kill Regal for myself. I leaned back in my chair and crossed my arms on my chest, then sat up abruptly at the uncomfortable pressure on my healing injury. For myself, I repeated. Not for my king or Buck or any of the six duchies. For me, I went to kill him. For me. Chademelia looked at me. But from the hearth corner, where Kettle rocked, her old voice rose in complacent satisfaction. The white scriptures say, He shall thirst for the blood of his own kin, and his thirst shall go unslaked. The catalyst shall hunger for a hearth and children in vain, for his children shall be another's, and another's child his own. No one can force me to fulfill any such prophecies, I vowed in a roar. Who made them anyway? Before we go into that, I do want to talk about that prophecy. Yeah. So, I, first of all, feel a little silly because when I first read the end line about his child should be another's and another child his own, I was like, oh, is that a clue that B is actually the fool's daughter? And <laughs> then I was like, um, no, it's dutiful. And <laughs> or Hap. Or Hap. Oh, There's, I didn't even think about yeah. Hap. Oh, Little like Miss Hap. That's fair. He does raise Hap as his own. There's so many ways this can fit. And I guess that's kind of what the fool was saying earlier is that you make the prediction and then kind of shoehorn it in to match beautifully, um, which is a little bit of farce, but. (laughs) The beauty of prophecy. It is. (laughs) You can make it And the complete scam of it. Yes. But yeah, his thirst for the blood of his own kin but it shall go unslaked. Obviously, Regal is first and foremost in your mind for that one. Right. He does not end up killing Regal at all. No, he does not. But we know who does. <laughs> Guess we do. Snip, snip. <laughs> the catalyst shall hunger for a hearth and children in vain, for his children shall be another's and another's child his own. And, I mean, it's so plain in front of our eyes rereading this. Right. That's like, well, duh. Like, <laughs> yeah, he wants to go home to Molly and a house and his child. But Nettle is raised by Beric. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But reading through this the first time, I was like, wow, this is like deep stuff. This is definitely fits because I knew it was like, he's the catalyst right. here. Like, what does this mean? <laughs> well, I I remember the first time reading this being like, whose child is he going to raise? Oh, yeah. my gosh, what is this going to be? And I, I think I distinctly remember this because I was so convinced there was going to be some, like, hidden element that I was missing um, that it sticks out in my mind. But I specifically remember thinking that Ketrakin was going to get pregnant, which we know she does, but I didn't at the time. Um, she's going to get pregnant and then she would give Fitz her baby because they had already like Taking announced metal. Yeah. And so as <laughs> payment, that was my, and so I'm like, this is about to get really juicy. Like, <laughs> 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 but I like distinctly remember that because I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> it didn't happen. Wouldn't make sense at all. <laughs> Another child is his own. Yeah. The queen gets pregnant again. And then all of a sudden the baby's gone. <laughs> Well, I don't know. (laughs) I thought it was a really good theory. (laughs) Uh. 
So do you think this prophecy is just about dutiful or just about hap? Or do you think it's just a prophecy that can fit in for both or whatever happens? I feel like it's just a prophecy that can fit in. Me too. Me too. Um, we also know that because of later books, the fool mostly writes about the, um, I, I want to say the forgotten son, but that's not what it, it's the, I thought it was the forgotten it son. It is the forgotten son. Or the unlooked for son. Something, something about a son. Yes. Son that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Um, but we know that most of his prophets, the prophecies are about this son and that a lot of them actually fit for B. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wonder if this could also fit B. It could. Yeah. Another's child is his own. And I mean, it does fit B because the fool insists that he is the father. So is Fitz. And so is Molly. Right. Like all three of them. And that's kind of, you know, typical where the fool grew up. So it's not like anything out of the ordinary for him. But Fitz right. can't <laughs> reconcile that with his traditional mind. Right. Traditional in the six duchies sense, I guess. Mind. Right. So. I know. Yeah. And so that's just something that I thought of that maybe it isn't about Fitz. Maybe it just happens to fit the situation. And also B has a wolf father. That's true. <laughs> and I was also thinking that wants to... There's suffered the blood of her own kin, like the fool, because she hates the fool. So true, you know, and that is technically her father in a weird way. So <laughs> maybe I don't know. <laughs> anyway. And so Fitz is angrily shouting, who made them anyway? And the fool just kind of chimes in. I did <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> and Kettle's like, you're doomed to fulfill them. Yes. Which. Probably doesn't help the situation, but thank you, Kettle. <laughs> In his drunken rage, he yells, damned if I will. No one jumped or replied. In a terrible instant of crystalline recall, I heard Molly's father's voice from his chimney corner. Damn you, girl. Molly had flinched but ignored him. She had known there was no reasoning with a drunk. Molly, I moaned suddenly and put my head down on my arms to weep. So he's really in his cups right now. He's yeah seeing himself respond similar to, at least similar enough to spark a memory of Molly's father, which just gets him sad and Chade just brings him to, uh, to bed and says, come on, boy, <laughs> you need to get some rest. Right. And Fitz notes that Chade has much more patience with him than what Fitz deserves. Yeah. And I wonder if a little bit of this comes from a place of guilt on Chade's part, if that's why he's withstanding all this abuse. I, I mean, it's really hard because on the one hand, this is a child figure, a father-child-ish relationship, at least grandfather-child relationship. And so I feel like it makes sense that Chade is so patient with Fitz and his outbursts, but he is almost overly so. And maybe it's the patience coming from the guilt of taking his child and like, this is just a response to the child. But also Fitz has been angry the last like two meetings Shade has had with him. So like not just in the mountains, but before they left him in the cabin, Fitz was also super angry and ranting. So this is like a lot of patience for Shade. But he also can commiserate with Fitz. Fitz remarked that 
or at least we remarked. I don't remember if it explicitly says it. I think you, you, you talked about it, that Chade knows what it's like to be dead. Right. And come back. And Chade probably also went through similar things of like, you have to learn that your life isn't your own. I thought I taught you this, but like, obviously you're really sick and feverish and right. The fool hasn't been giving you enough willow bark tea and you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> all this stuff. But with the things that I remarked on earlier, Fitz doesn't realize how deep Chade's feelings are for him. True. He is Chade. I think feels himself more of a father than just like a grandfather right. or, you know, teacher or apprentice kind of thing and is very heavily invested. And I'm, I'm sure he does feel a lot of guilt because of what Fitz has had to go, go through. And then also what they're putting him through now and what Chade knows has to be done. Right. Like he, he's not going to have, He's not going to back down from it, but he can have guilt or sympathy for Fitz during this time. But he still is going to do it because he's very pragmatic and still loyal to the Farseer. Right. Like family. Yeah. Well, it's fair. So Fitz getting dragged to bed confronts Chade about the White Prophets and the Catalysts and, and all these prophecies and kind of says you knew and she's like well i didn't know anything but i had a lot of time before before you were even born just right. to sit around and read stuff so i had read about them and then when the fool came and started talking about catalysts and even you mentioned that he called you catalyst i got really interested in all of this but i never put much credence into the prophecies so it's uh it's an interesting comment from chade Right. Specifically because. Well, now the more that I'm thinking, I was going to say it's specifically because he usually tries to gather any information he can and pursue any lead. But he's also a very concrete kind of information guy. Like the prophecies aren't concrete enough to follow up on. It's just like an interesting thing. So I guess I can kind of right. see where he's coming from. I guess. And he was preoccupied at the time when that was going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I found it a little weird, but mostly because in my mind, Chade is like this really hip astrology grandpa who's like <laughs> reading his horoscope on the daily. He knows when uh, Mercury's in retrograde, you know, like <laughs> I feel like he's very um I don't know if spiritual is the word I'm looking for, but just open to everything in general. He seems to believe in all different types of magic. So I guess you're right that he likes to have things more concrete and maybe I don't know. But I mean, he's if he's read so much, he probably read superstitions or religions from all over the world. Right. And is he supposed to put the same amount of faith in all of them or just kind of be like, this is interesting, but probably not true. I don't know. So I don't know. I feel like personally, in my mind, that's who he is, a person who believes everything is true. <laughs> He's like, no, there's no one true, like, spiritual way to believe. It's all real. <laughs> I see. I In my mind, I don't figure Chade for religious or spiritual in any way. I think he's he just believes in different powers and I feel like I don't he, know. 
feel like he does a lot of yoga, wears like baggy <laughs> pants and stuff. Is that just because he wears robes around all the time? Yeah. But I bet he'd be really good at yoga. <laughs> and so Jade continues on a conversation just to remind Fitz that Ketrikin is angry with him. And she is very, very alone. And she has gone through a lot. Her father is turning his warrior's eyes to the six statues because of all the provocation. And she's sitting here alone with her quest to try to prove her husband's alive and then dealing with his grief when they found bones. And she just lost her child. Like, there's a lot she has been through that she doesn't have support for. Right. Even more so than when she was physically alone in the Six Touchies. Right. And she's being ostracized by her new home, the Duchies, the ones that she's supposed to be sacrificed for. And her old home is having this weird relationship with her and taking her back. It doesn't feel like it's her place to be sacrificed here anymore. It's just a hard time for Ketrikin. And... Fitz has it hard, yes, but he's not the only one. Right. He's not... Misfortune doesn't solely look out for Fitz. It hits all of them equally. And so, Chade says, find tolerance for the woman and respect for your queen. You will need both tomorrow. I can be of little help to you with her. So just telling him he's on his own. Right. And I do find this interesting because Ketrikin and Chade's relationship to me is so cool in that Ketrikin really holds her own at all times. And I don't know if a little bit of that is that she is the queen and Farseer blood or not, she is the reigning Farseer queen. And therefore, Chade will give her the respect uh, that a queen deserves. Or if it's just that she's so strong-willed that not even Chade can get through to her. (laughs) But I really like that even here we see the hints at the future relationship where they don't always see eye to eye, but Chade doesn't really step on her toes. He will Mm -hmm. a little bit here and there and maybe go behind her back to do things that she wouldn't necessarily approve of. But overall, she's the queen and her word is law. So, yeah, he'll definitely push to do things the way he thinks they should be run. But he does, like you said, bow down to and ultimately agree with. <laughs> right. Quote, unquote, agree right, yeah. <laughs> with uh, the decisions that Ketrickin makes as final because she is the reigning leader of the Farseers. Yeah. Fitz falls asleep and he falls into a skill dream. He says that the first time for a while, either that he's recovered enough or whatever. But yeah, three days of drinking does it. Yeah. But tonight is the night and it's a very strong skill dream. And he's suddenly in a city. We know this to be Kelsingra. Do we? I think we do. Okay. I thought so until I reread this section like four times. And now I'm not as convinced. Oh, really? But we'll get to it. It was a city in the sense that folk dwelt there in great number, but the folk were unlike any I had ever seen, nor had I ever seen such dwellings. The buildings soared and spiraled to airy heights. The stone of the walls seemed to have flowed into their forms. 
There were bridges of delicate tracery and gardens that both cascaded down and tendrilled up the sides of the structures. There were fountains that danced and others that pooled silently. Everywhere brightly clad people moved through the city as numerous as ants. Yet all was silent and still. I sensed the flow of folk, the play of the fountains, the perfume of the unfolding blossoms in the gardens. All was there. But when I turned to behold it, it was gone. The mind could sense the delicate tracery of the bridge, but the eye saw only the fallen rubble gone to rust and rot. Frescoed walls had the wind polished away to roughly plastered bricks. A turn of the head changed a leaping fountain to a weedy dust in a cracked basin. The hastening crowd in the market spoke only with the voice of the racing wind heavy with stinging sand. I moved through this ghost of a city, bodiless and seeking, unable to decipher why I was there or what was drawing me. It was neither light nor dark there, neither summer nor winter. I am outside time, I thought, and wondered if this was the ultimate hell of the fool's philosophy or the final freedom. So we get an interesting description there mm-hmm. of what I take to be just the ghost people and the ghost you know, atmosphere of what we get as descriptions of Kelsey Girl later on in the Rainwild Chronicles. I don't think this is Kalsingra. I think this is a different uh, skill-built city, um, mostly because there is a lot of mention of sand and sandstorms, and Kalsingra is in the woods in the mountains. There isn't really sand. We do know, however, that there was... There are deserts somewhere on this planet that the Farseer trilogy mm. takes place on that the dragons specifically love going to the deserts because the sand gets into the scales and shines them. So there are deserts and it wouldn't be impossible to believe that a desert city would have been built. We know that the big dragon friendly buildings is most well known in Kelsingra that they were kind of a the best city for dragons. I believe one of the dragons tells us that, that Kelsingra was the most welcoming, but other were too. But we don't hear any mention of dragons being seen in this little snippet of life, nor dragons on the statues or dragons on the fountains, which I feel like a lot of the fountains in Kelsingra are described as having, um, because Kelsingra seemed to put a lot more artistry into celebrating the dragons. Also, something that happens later that we'll touch on a little bit more is the pure skill river that is cutting down, that is coming down directly into a pool of water. It's pure skill. This isn't anywhere in Kelsingro. See, that's where I thought it was noted. Like, oh, we're like, I seem to recall that it was mentioned, but they can't find it. That they, like they, there was note of, oh, there was, you know, this thing here or whatever, but it's lost. The well, the skill well. Yeah, not, not, it was a different one though. It was, um, I, I thought it was this in particular. We'll, we'll come back to it because we haven't read the description of it yet. Yeah. But anyway, so I'm just of the opinion that. Hmm. This is a different place. Definitely could be. And you think you got here by like skill pillar? Yep. Yeah. It's definitely possible. I mean, I don't know for sure, obviously. Um, 
we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) But in my mind, there's a lot of sand being mentioned and not once is sand mentioned in Kelsingra in any memory that I have, except for well, sand is mentioned like what once in here. Um, well, it says that there was, let's see in the paragraph you read, there is sand mentioned. And then in the next paragraph, sand laden wind. And then there's another mention of sand a little bit later. Oh, Okay. So it's very so not in just that description. OK, no. yeah, there's one. The one mention of sand that I see in this one is the hastening crowd in the market spoke only with the voice of the racing wind, heavy with stinging sand. Mm-hmm. And then a, when he sees Verity, Verity is walking through sand laden wind. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll have to keep an eye out for descriptions of Kelsingra when they go there mm-hmm. later on. Fitz is going to go there in a couple of chapters. But I mean, a cu- yeah, <laughs> probably a few or more. But yeah, he gets there. We're eventually. over halfway. There's not many chapters. There's only like 20 chapters left. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I don't think this is Kalsingra. I think I did think that for a yeah. really long time. I mean, obviously not the first read through because you don't know. But well, we see like evidence of Verity being in the tower there mm-hmm. and everything. Like and I that, don't so. think that he didn't go to Kalsingra. Right. No. Yeah. Right. We know he was in Kelsingra. Right. But I don't think this specifically is in Kelsingra. Interesting. Could be. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on the descriptions when we get there. Mm-hmm. So he does see Verity plodding along and zooms towards him in his disembodied skill dream way. A little Naruto <laughs> run. Yes. <laughs> and he's sensing that the danger is extreme at this point. He doesn't really know why. He saw nothing, but danger loomed over Verity like a giant's shadow. I hastened after him, and in the blinking of an eye was beside him. Ah, he greeted me. So you have come at last, Fitz. Welcome. He did not pause as he walked, nor turn his head. Yet I felt a warmth as if he had clasped my hand in greeting, and I felt no need to reply. Instead I saw with his eyes the lure and the danger. A river flowed ahead. It was not water. It was not glistening stone. It partook of both of those things, but was neither. It sliced through the city like a gleaming blade, sliding out of the riven mountains behind us, and continuing until it disappeared into a more ancient river of water. Like a seam of coal bared by a cutting tide, or gold veining quartz, it lay exposed on the earth's body. It was magic. Purest ancient magic, inexorable and heedless of men, flowed there. The river of skill I had so tediously learned to navigate was to this magic as the bouquet of wine is wine. That which I glimpsed of Ver- with Verity's eyes had a physical existence as concrete as my own. I was immediately drawn to it as a moth is drawn to a candle flame goes on to describe it as filling every single sense and he's just feeling this through verity here that is the sound of the the rushing was musical and the notes kept you know one waiting and listening to it because it felt like it was building up to something the whole time the wind carried its scent which but it was elusive and changing all the time he tasted it on every breath and longed to plunge himself into it 
and he was suddenly sure that it could quench every appetite that Fitz had ever suffered. Not just of the body, but of the mind as well. Right. So this is the danger. Yes. Um, I suppose the mention of mountains does lend it to being Kalsingra. However, there are mountains everywhere. (laughs) And I think that if there was an area where there was Skill River slicing through the city and pooling, the dragons would have found it. And we would have known about it in the last series. Yeah, that's fair. There are shakes all the time, mm-hmm. especially after the live ship traders, because that gets into the more Rainwild Chronicles section. Right. So that could, you know, I guess make the river disappear underground or something like that. But potentially, I guess to also to counter or contradict myself. Technically, we know that there is a well that was full of skill that Verity breaks, I think. No, it's just broken when they find it. We don't know yeah. for sure that Verity broke it. I don't think it was Verity. Okay, because I was going to say... Think, I think it was the the elderlings there beforehand, is what I remember from mm. the Rainwild Chronicles. They, like, disabled it on purpose. Oh, well, then, never mind. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying, like, if that was part of it, if it was open right now, maybe it's, like, overflowing and flooding out, and that's why mm, it doesn't appear later. Because Although it's saying it's coming from the mountains, not from in the city. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why the skill is so abundant right now, and later when there are actually dragons who want it, it isn't there. I <laughs> Although I guess if this was a city in the desert, probably um, Tatangula. Is that the red dragon? Uh, blue. 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 You're right. Um, she probably would have found it on her travels around the world. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is Kelsingra and the shakes did cover it. We'll have to wait for descriptions when we get there. True. Compare the sand. <laughs> He, Verity, pauses in front of this and takes a deep breath and Fitz feels Verity's longing for this skill river. It's an all-consuming desire. When he got to it, he would throw himself on his knees and drink his fill. He would be filled with all the consciousness of the world. He would partake of the whole and become the whole. At last, he would know completion. But Verity himself would cease to exist. I drew back in fascinated horror. I don't think there is anything more frightening than to encounter the true will for self-destruction. Despite my own attraction to the river... It touched off an anger in me. This was not worthy of Verity. Neither the man nor the prince I had known could be capable of such a cowardly act. I looked at him as if I had never seen him and realized how long it had been since I had seen him. It describes a man who is not gaunt as he had seen him skilling out of his tower for summer after summer, but only powered by the will to move forward. 
right. wiry muscles, uneven on his steps, just barely moving forward. His eyes are dull. They're no longer the smart, calculating eyes of his uncle. His lips were pale and cracked, and his flesh had a grayish overtone to it, as if the very blood of his body had forsaken it. He was a man of stamina alone, ropey muscles stretched on a framework of bones that was scarcely cloaked in flesh at all. He was the embodiment of weary purpose. Only his will kept him upright and moving, toward the magic flow. And so fits right here is convinced that Verity is just going to throw himself into the river. Right. Because that overwhelming desire, he can't imagine anything else. Right. And I think it's really interesting because there is this duality and this want to not be in the world anymore, to give it all up to this pure pleasure that maybe then everything would be bright and all of my needs would be fulfilled. That both of these men are feeling and that only when Fitz realizes that Verity would be gone in indulging in this, does he stop and realize that, Hey, wait a second. No, this isn't right. Not because Fitz himself shouldn't throw himself into this river and be gone, but because Verity is unworthy of these dirty thoughts. Right. And I think that really says a lot about how Fitz views himself and views this struggle with mental health that he has that I believe that this shows a a feeling of, well, I deserve to feel this way because I'm lesser. And Verity, who is a royal <laughs> who is above everyone and who, who is I a love good man in Fitz's eyes. Yes. He shouldn't feel this way. You're you can't feel this way if you're perfect like Verity. And so it's so shocking. And I think it is also a really good reminder that it doesn't matter what you think other people are like or how perfect they are to your eyes they can still also be struggling with mental health issues. You don't know and their life. You don't no. know. You can't compare your suffering. Even though we do compare suffering of these characters, like right. Fitz has gone through a lot, but so has this person. But Fitz right. is definitely the worst off here. Like in real life or in actually comparing them in the plot themselves, here it's reminded to Fitz, like you can't do that. Right. Like it doesn't work. Just because somebody else might have it worse doesn't mean that you don't have it bad. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a really interesting way to show the reader. And maybe this is on purpose. Maybe this is something I'm reading into it. <laughs> um, but just show people that people of all kinds struggle. And whether or not you think that they are worthy of it or <laughs> or in this case you think it's below them and they shouldn't um it is something that people struggle with yeah and that you don't know why or what it is that pushed them to that point but fitz has to get past this and try to hold verity from the edge and before we quite get there in this case it is 
a magical feeling. Right. <laughs> the skill is described to us when you take hold of it as this ecstasy, achieving a perfect moment in time in your life. Just one perfect moment, but sustaining that for as long as you can hold the skill. Just like beautiful harmony with the whole world. Yeah. And this physical feeling, this, these senses that are filling him just through the skill connection with Verity and through the skill dream and not being physically there is kind of overwhelming fits at this point. Right. More so than just actually using the skill. Right. And Verity is there in person and he's the one who has to fight the actual feelings this so is giving off. It's as terrified and tries to hold Verity back as much as possible. And we get a little miscommunication fight here. Yes. Or not even a fight, just a, a struggle on Fitz's part. <laughs> Fitz thinks that he is trying to stop his uncle from diving headfirst into this magic river. And his uncle, I don't think, is at the point where he's going to do that. He thinks about how nice it would be, but he's not going to give in. Right. So Fitz is saying here, Verity, please stop, wait. And Verity's like, someone has to do it. Mm -hmm. He said quietly. Three steps later, he added, For a time, I hoped it would not be me. But over and over, I have asked myself, who else then? He turned to look at me with those burnt-to-ashes eyes. No other answer has ever come. It has to be me. And so Fitz is sitting here listening to this and be like, no, like, no, you don't have to throw yourself in the river. Like, no, there is another answer. I'll, I'll come help you. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. And Verity's sitting here like, no, I have to be the one to carve the dragon. Like, yes. I have to get my hands silvered and cease to exist in this world to so become that, a dragon yeah. so I can save everything because there's no other person coming to help me. Right. <laughs> it's a different kind of oblivion. Yes, it is. Probably less fulfilling because it's not all at once, but it is something that he is kind of happy to do. <laughs> um, and I feel really bad for Verity because I don't think he could make anybody else do this in his place. No, I don't think he even if somebody did appear that could skill was reliable and was amazing at carving. Verity would still take it upon himself because that's just who he is as a person. That's who the Farseers are. And yeah. that is the way they practice their sacrifice. That's who King Wisdom was. He went there again looking for succor, looking for some sort of salvation against raiders back then. And he carved his dragon right. and saved the six duchies, but, you know, consigned himself to that fate. Right. Interestingly, Regal is also a farseer in the way that he wants to do everything on his own, right. even if that is for evil means. But it is a farseer trait. Yeah. Runs deep in them, <laughs> <laughs> even if they can turn that nefarious. So Fitz withdraws a little bit, feeling his strength ebbing because he, he can't reach out to Verity at this point. Right. And... He realizes, he fears a little bit first that he would lose Verity by being drawn back to his sleeping body so he wouldn't be there anymore. And then realizes an equally potent fear that being linked for so long and even now being pulled along after Verity, Fitz might find himself drowned alongside 
Verity in that vein of magic. He has no idea what would happen if they're linked together and Verity throws himself into the river to become nothing or right. be, to become one with everything. Right. And a little part of Fitz kind of hopes he does because then he doesn't have to take the blame for taking the easy way out. <laughs> but at the same time, he anchors himself in the only other way he can imagine with his real relationships, his real feelings of this present world. Grasping after those other lives who has touched Fitz with the skill. Molly, his daughter, Che, the fool, Birik, Ketrikin. He had no true skill links with any of them, so my grip was tenuous one at best, lessened by my frantic fear that at any moment Will or Carrot or even Burl might somehow become aware of me. It seemed to me that it slowed Verity. Please wait, I said again. No, he said quietly. Don't seek to dissuade me, Fitz. It's what I have to do. I had never thought to measure my skill strength against Verity's. I had never imagined we could be opposed to each other. But as I proceeded to batter myself against him, I felt very much like a child kicking and screaming as his father calmly carried him off to bed. Verity not only ignored my attack, I sensed that his will and concentration were elsewhere. He moved implacably on toward the black flow, and my consciousness was borne along with him. Self-preservation lent a frantic new strength to my struggles. I strove to push him away, to drag him back, but availed me nothing. And that part I had highlighted here, because once again, we get to point out how awesome Verity is. And how terrible his strength is. Yeah. Fitz, as we saw a few chapters back before he ran, dashed all of his strength against the coterie mm -hmm. and scattered them. They were, you know, not ready for it, sure. But he's at least the match of Will, even right. though Fitz says he is not in strength. And Will might be a little bit stronger than him, but... He's incredibly strong, and Will has been using the skill and growing his skill, right. and, and Fitz does not use it. And Will has been stealing the skill of others. Right, So, yeah. So Fitz yeah. is very, very strong. He is a great magic user, but Verity is on another magnitude. Yeah. It's like Fitz a billionaire versus affect. a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Fitz doesn't even affect him at all. Yeah. He's just like, this is a little gnat trying to, like, annoy me. Yeah. I'm not even paying attention to him. I'm just walking past, but he's flying with me. Yeah. It's insane to think this, the pure strength that Verity has. And this factors into the full ability for Verity to carve almost a complete dragon on his own. Yeah. The strength of his skill and how he lives his life to the fullest and, and the experiences that he had as what, just a 40 year old man or something like that? 40 something yeah, year old he's man? Not to that able, old. <laughs> to be able to fill up a whole dragon with his memories. Right. And his strength of skill. You know, now it's that insane. I'm thinking about it, probably his lifeless eyes are because he's already given up some of himself to the dragon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because we see him in a skill dream chipping away at Blackstone already. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that in context with how 
He's not necessarily acting weird, but he's a little weird. <laughs> just not emotional. Yeah. He's just kind of there. Yeah. And like he's he's set to a purpose, but not he's emphatic not, about it. He's right. not, you know, getting a rise or trying to convince Fitz. He's just like, nope, this is this is what I'm doing. This has to be done. Which and that's it. Honestly, might be the only reason he doesn't fully plunge <laughs> into yeah, the skill. Yeah, could be. Ugh. I just also, we know that skill grows as you use it. And so. So does the addiction. So does the addiction. But I guess that explains why Verity is so far above probably any skill user that has ever existed. I I won't say ever existed, but. I think he's in the top five at least. (laughs) He's the strongest one that we know of. True. It just. It's sad because of what that means to his health. Yes. But it's not really like he's going to have to face the consequences. So I guess. Ugh, I don't know. It's rough. It's rough because. You want Verity to get better and to if you're a first time reader, you're reading this and you're like, oh, I just want him to get back. I mean, I don't know if everybody else was. I was feeling like, oh, I just want him to get back and like him and Ketrick can have a happy life and have a child together. And it doesn't really get to happen. And I don't know, knowing that he is trudging on towards his fate really makes me sad. But he is doing what he believes is best. And he wouldn't want anyone else to go through this fate. Yeah. So he's taking on the challenge. And this is where Fitz points out that there is a terrible duality to this. As you mentioned before, Emma, there's a little bit in him that longed Verity to beat Fitz here, to overpower him and drag him down, that he can't take responsibility for it then. He could open himself to that flow of power and be quenched in it. It would be an end to all torments, surcease at last. I was so tired of doubts and guilts, so weary of duties and debts. If Verity carried me into the flow of that skill with him, I could finally surrender with no shame. They came to the edge of the river, and there was a moment of pause. And Fitz is staring at it, seeing it as a foreign thing in our world, a warping of our very world's nature. Ponderously, Verity lowered himself to one knee. He stared into that black luminescence. I did not know if he hesitated to say farewell to our world, or if he paused to gather his will to destroy himself. My will to resist was suspended. This was a door to an otherness I could not even imagine. Hunger and curiosity drew us closer to the brink. In the next moment, he plunged his hands and forearms into the magic. So this doesn't surprise Fitz, but at the same time, the shock of the magic just kind of forces any other thought out of his brain of like, we're just going to go in, you know? Yeah. (laughs) He's just sitting here overwhelmed by the sudden knowledge that he's filled with. He screams with Verity as the hot current ate the flesh and muscle from Verity's arms. I swear I felt the acid lick of it across the bared bones of his fingers and wrist and forearm. I knew his pain, yet it was crowded from his features by the rapturous smile that overwhelmed his face. My link with him was suddenly a clumsy thing that barred me from sensing in full what he felt. 
I longed to be beside him, to bear my own flesh to that magic river. I shared his conviction that he could end all pain if only he would give in and plunge the rest of himself into the stream. So easy. All he had to do was lean forward a bit and let go. He crouched over the stream on his knees, sweat dripping from his face, only to disappear as tiny puffs of steam when it fell into the flow. His head was bowed and his shoulders moved up and down with the strength of his panting. Then he begged me suddenly in a tiny voice, Pull me back. I had not had the strength to oppose his determination, but when I joined my will to his and together we fought the terrible allure of the power, it was just enough. He was able to draw his forearms and hands free from the stuff, though it felt as if he drew them out of solid stone. It gave him up reluctantly as he staggered back. I sensed in full for a moment what we had shared. There was the oneness of the world flowing there, like a single sweet note drawn purely out. It was not the song of humanity, but an older, greater song of vast balances and pure being. Had Verity surrendered to it, it would have ended all his torments. Instead, he tottered to his feet and turned away from it. And again, that just drives in the terrible purpose and the sacrifice that Verity is making here. Right. He was already tortured and conflicted and addicted to the skill and wanted to join them when he was at Buckkeep still. <laughs> right. Right. And it's been a year journeying out. All of his companions die. He reaches the end. He starts chipping away at the stone, looking for any sort of answer, help, elderlings, something that can save his kingdom, and decides, well... I guess I have to end myself, but slowly. Yeah, in the most painful way. Because I'm constantly addicted and want to end myself, but have to prevent myself from any sort of bliss. Yeah. To Ugh. accomplish this. And just thinking about poor Verity and heartbreak after heartbreak he's had to endure <laughs> up until this point. I mean, his brother left the throne to him, something he didn't want, and then died. And then his younger brother tried to kill him uh, multiple times. Bro- older brother, quote unquote, died of natural causes, right. falling off a horse he had ridden forever. Uh-huh. So Verity knew that as well, that he was killed probably by his mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Or mother, uh, stepmother, stepmother, excuse me, not mother-in-law. <laughs> and then his own younger brother tries to kill him. And, and his nephew. And his nephew. And on top of that, his father is disappointed in him because he's not chivalry or regal. And he is and constantly being battered at by the Red Ship Raiders that he cannot stop from destroying his kingdom or help most of the people. He is the only one to kind of hold them back. And yet all of his people are disappointed in him because Regal, his younger brother is making him seem very inept Yep, and making the people hate him for doing nothing, even though he is literally wasting away his whole life yep. <laughs> to he, help them. He has to get married to somebody that he doesn't even know that he doesn't necessarily want to marry because she's not really his type. And she is kind of a handful. No offense, Kedrigan. <laughs> she is. She is. She was very immature. And at the beginning. she's just young and a child. wants to help, but she doesn't know how. And he has to continue on this path of 
trying to help. And finally, there's this glimmer of hope of the elderlings will help us. And I can just imagine getting to the mountain and realizing. I'm the elderlings. Yeah. That this is that I have to be the elderlings. <laughs> the, the journey was the friends we made along the way. And the friends we made were the ad- crippling addiction to skill. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> it's just so like. Uh, that picture in my head of him, like standing alone in the quarry, realizing is like so heartbreaking. <laughs> and then him checking in with Fitz and using all of his strength at that point. Mm-hmm. Once he's on this journey alone to like say, hey, come to me because don't Please. kill my brother. Yeah. Like, my younger brother who tried to kill us. Which but. also I can't <laughs> believe he's protecting his brother in that moment. Well, he was I trying mean, to save Fitz in that moment. Yes, but also Regal was not in that room. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to think Verity would forgive Regal. Not because I think that he should or I like the idea, but I think who Verity is, he would give Regal another chance in a heartbeat. I'm not sure because there's that moment where Fitz, where they are talking. Um, I, I can't remember if it was. I, I think it was when Ketrickin was doing her speech out front to go riding out and hunting right. the forged ones. And Verity is like inside watching that. And Regal says like to him, stop your, you know, your dumb wife or whatever from doing this. <laughs> and he like slaps him and says, and Fitz like says, I could see the depth of the pain of like betrayal and that he would never forgive Regal there or something like that. Right. So I feel like he would never kill Regal, (laughs) never like push him further away, but he would never trust him. He would just keep him like, you're my brother. We're family. We'll do this, but I'm not going to. That's what I mean, though. Like, not necessarily that he's going to love him forever or whatever. But I think if Regal's like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to try to do better. Verity would give him the chance in a heartbeat. Yeah. There would be no hesitation I mean, he wouldn't fully trust him and there would definitely be an arm's length kind of situation going on. But I don't think he would be like, absolutely not to the dungeons with you. I think he'd be like, okay, (laughs) let's see. If if a regular, normal hero story book was told about the events in here, Verity would be the main character. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's not perfect character. He, He makes mistakes and he has character flaws. So he's not like, you know, storybook hero. Right. But he would be the main focus and main character. And we would see, you know, the sidekick Fitz show up at the end, like (laughs) save the day. But Verity would be the point of view like, oh, my gosh, my friends came to save me and I have to complete my mission now. Right. And it would be like a sad little thing at the end. And then happy, happily ever after he lives forever amongst the stones and to save his (laughs) kingdom, you know. Right. Instead, we get Fitz. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, we get to follow Fitz and his torment and see this from the outside. So it's not as heroic because we get to see it through the lens of Fitz's loss and grief. Right. And it makes these books so special and heartbreaking and miserable at times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so they continue on with this conversation. Fitz is saying, I don't understand and Verity's like, yeah, I don't want you to understand all of it right now because Verity doesn't want to tell Fitz, yeah, I'm going to like end myself yeah. to save everything. You like, just have to come to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> help were, me do that. You were wrong about the timing, <laughs> but not about the end goal. So uh, see you soon. <laughs> but he does say again, Fitz, come to me, please. 
It was no skill order this time, not even the command of a prince. Only the plea of a man to another. I have no coterie fits, only you. If the coterie that Galen created for me had been true, then I would have more faith that what I must do is possible. Yet not only are they false to me, but they seek to defeat me. They peck at me like birds on a dying buck. I do not think their attacks can destroy me, but I fear they may weaken me enough that I do not succeed. Or worse yet, that they may distract me and succeed in my place. We cannot allow that, boy. You and I are all that stands between them and their triumph. You and I, the Farseers. And this is where I have highlighted and noted down that Verity wants Fitz to help him complete the dragon. Yes. That is why Verity wants him to come to him. That is why, you know, he needs Fitz to be there. And that's why he warns against the Coterie. And this kind of goes back to our discussion of do they know about carving dragons? Mm -hmm. And this implies to me that Verity thinks they do. And if he starts this and the Coterie completes it before him or something, not, you know, I'm not going to talk about how that works magic right, <laughs> in the magic right. ways because it's confusing with unfinished dragons and selfish thoughts and things like that. It would be disastrous. Mm-hmm. But also the Coterie would be gone then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I don't quite understand how these stone dragons work because it kind of doesn't seem like they have free will. Um, I, I feel like they do <laughs> in the sense that they willingly put themselves into these dragons for the betterment of their cause. Right. Or the last prevailing thought and you know want of the people who create these dragons and so when they're woken up and that purpose is fulfilled or they they feel like they can serve that purpose again they want to because that is their driving force but there's also free will with like girl on a dragon she took the memories and then gave them back and there was like an exchange of of feelings and thoughts with the fool there that's fair. And Girl on a Dragon flew the fool around for a little bit to <laughs> like different places, you know? True. Yeah. Th- there's a little bit of something there. But I think you're right, and they're not like they're not able to just be free and live around forever, you know? Right. It's not like you put your consciousness into something and it's still you. You are now this like version of yourself that is all of you at once. Yeah, big hive mind. Yeah. Kind of unified community. But like I don't it is very interesting because the way I the way I do picture this is that it is like I said, all of you at once. So like all of your good moments and bad stacked on top of each other to make this kind of neutral being and mixed with the other people that she <laughs> shared themselves. I don't know. It's, That's why there has to be that one purpose. That's why coteries do this. Right. There's that common link. There is that drive of purpose. And that's what I really want to think about in the later chapters with Kettle. Right. I, I really want to kind of hone in on her a little bit more because when I was first reading this, she kind of came out of nowhere and like, why would she join Verity to do this and stuff? So I really want to focus in on that later on. Right. See if and, we can and discuss stuff out. that character. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept. And here I'm 99% sure Verity wants Fitz there just to help him complete the dragon. Right. Which, because this is the only chance. Yeah. Which he does go back on. Yeah, he does. I don't, he does. I don't know if that's because there is a more capable person <laughs> available. I, I think it's partially that and partially like you have so much to live for yet kind of thing because there is another option available. Right, right now, Fitz is his only option. He is the coterie. Right. He is the only help that can help Verity out in any way. It's also dishonest of Verity to be like, I'm not going to tell you what right. I'm doing right now, but come to me and help me and then I'll drag you into the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Fitz. Once but, again, a tool. Yes, a tool. And it doesn't make it better, but Fitz would be all for this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He would be all for this right now, which is terrible. Well, would he with his daughter being left behind? Mm. I think if he didn't have a daughter, he would be all for it. That's Fair. I think the introduction of his daughter changes things. That is fair, actually. Yes. But also this like moment, he'd be fine with. Yeah. And the presence being, of all the skill being, being like, like, OK, I'll dip my whole body if you need yeah. me to. <laughs> no responsibility then. I'm good. <laughs> Severity oh. says we're the only thing that stands between them and triumph. We are the farseers. Which I do want to say is kind of cute because. In a way, it's Verity acknowledging Fitz yeah. officially. Yeah. Even if it's not going to be written about, there's no minstrel there to witness. He did before, too. This is a, there's a few times now because he named Fitz Fitz Chivalry Farseer. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think in Verity's eyes, Fitz has always been a Farseer. It doesn't matter. Didn't, didn't that naming happen when he was six years old and, like, found? Yeah. He, like, signed things. He just never told Fitz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, poor Fitz. But this is, I think, as much as I hate that this kind of is, like, another person that Fitz loves being, like, thank you, Tool, for being available to me. Right. It is kind of a loving moment because it is Fitz's uncle saying, like, we are kin, we are equal. There is no yeah. difference between you and I. And that is in itself beautiful, even if the kind of surrounding text is a little. And from Verity's point of view, Fitz is willing to do anything. Just Fitz right. can't grasp what that is. Right. So that's where we come in with being like, oh, this is kind of predatory. But from Verity's side, it's like he's willing to help out yeah. to do anything to save the kingdom. So, yeah, he's a king's man. Yeah, he has to. <laughs> it's his role. Just like Ver Verity, as much as he would love to give others freedom, also is someone who is stuck in the way things are. Yeah. Um, which I don't think we've talked about a ton, but he does do things in the way that is expected, not in a way like there's no creativity to the way he carries out tasks because he's somebody, straightforward. He yeah. Is. Somebody told him to do a task. So he does it. He doesn't yeah. think of a way to make it his own. And so I think that's why when it comes to Fitz, as much as he would love Fitz to not have to worry about the burden of being a king in waiting or protecting the duchies. I think he also knows that Fitz's role as a farseer is to first and foremost protect the kingdom. Yeah. So, I don't know. And even though Fitz is not there physically, Verity smiles, reaches out a hand, a gleaming, terrible gleaming hand to cup his face. Did he intend what he did? 
I do not know. The jolt was as powerful as if a warrior had slammed his shield into my face. But not pain. Awareness. Like sunlight bursting through clouds to illuminate a clearing in the forest, everything suddenly stood out clearly, and I saw all the hidden reasons and purposes for what we did, and I understood with a painful purity of enlightenment why it was necessary I follow the path before me. Then all was gone, and I dwindled off into blackness. Verity was gone and my understanding with him, but for one brief instant I had glimpsed the completeness of it, only I remained now, but myself was so tiny I could only exist if I held on with all my might. So I did. And he has a seizure. And so he, he grasps there everything. That completeness of the skill. This changes his attitude towards Ketrakin and Chait as well later on. This one moment of enlightenment that he forgets the fullness of that Verity grants him just kind of allows him to move forward. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting because we don't really know the specifics and neither does Fitz. He can't even remember the full of what it is that he understood. I'm thinking it's everything that we had just talked about that. Yeah that Verity had to do this, had to create a dragon, and he was going to have Fitz help him and why they had to do it. Right. It's just the skill is such an interesting thing, and I wish, again, for the thousandth time on this podcast, I wish we knew more about how it worked and the mechanics of it. But I don't know. It's just really interesting to... I do want to point out, actually, one more thing about how uh, the tragicness of Verity's story... He tried to awake the other sleeping dragons. That's right. For a long time and then finally decided I have to make one of my own. That was his point. So again, he was thinking like, okay, there's I found it. There's no help here. I have to do it by myself. Oof. And that's when he has the elation later that Fitz wakes them up. Remember, that's yeah, like the most yeah. emotion that he has. Over any of those later chapters, he's like, it worked. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't not, all for nothing. I'm not alone. Oh, poor Verity. Oh, <laughs> Heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm imagining him sitting in the rain in that f- field with all the sleeping. The meadow, yeah. Yeah, the sleeping dragons and flying pig <laughs> just like crying in the rain because he's tried for like days to get them to wake up and they won't. And then like. Another shot of him standing still, dripping wet in the caves with all this magic stone to create his own. <laughs> and like, ooh, so sad. Well, I think we're going to end it there. This is a long chapter. We got a lot to talk about yeah. in the second half as well. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have any questions or any comments on anything that we talked about, how Verity is awesome, but also a tragic character, please let us know. <laughs> You can email us directly at isfitshappy.com or you can go to our website is, excuse me, isfitshappy at gmail.com or go to our website isfitshappy.com where we have all of our other links there where you can contact us at any of our other social medias. Be sure to let us know your hot takes on whether or not this is Kelsingra and what you think of Chade. Yeah. We like hearing it all.
Okay. We're going to start off this listener portion of the episode with a major correction. <laughs> um, shout out to Kate on Instagram for letting uh, letting me know specifically that the towns that I was I was trying to equate um, the mountain kingdom buildings to looking like in my mind is in Greece, not Italy. Santorini. Yes. Santorini specifically. Uh, sorry to all Italians and Grecians out there listening. <laughs> Many apologies, but also thank you so much. Kate. Oh, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't even joke like that. <laughs> um, but yes, Santorini is exactly what I picture. Um, that's the vibe. I, I picture that too, except obviously it's on a wintry mountain and then there's mm-hmm. a lot more purple. Yes, instead of blue, it's purple. I don't know. Um, The colors described to me by Robin Hobb do not matter. I'm going to make up my own. (laughs) True, true. It's my movie in my head, and I will cast it however I want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So thank you, Kate. And then we're going to dive into some emails right away. And our first one is from a listener named Jess. So thank you so much for reaching out about this. We're talking about old episodes here. This is a long time ago in the first book, (laughs) Assassin's Apprentice, right at the end. Episode 27, chapter 27 as well, I believe. I can't remember if we had two-part episodes back then or not. Some of them were, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, it's at the end where we were discussing how Shrewd had sent Fitz into the meat grinder, basically, in the Mountain Kingdom, and how Fitz was feeling like he was being used by his grandfather in a tool. And Jess brings up the point that we see Shrewd using the fool's gift of visions to his advantage at certain points. Right. And Jess posits that the fool could have convinced Shrewd that Fitz was the one that needed to go to the Mountain Kingdom. In fact, there's a few evidence points for this, how the fool knew he was going to get poisoned up there and so gave him that purge, how the final confrontation happened with the skill. So if Chade was sent instead to kill Rurisk, Verity probably would have died. Yeah. Nothing would have been accomplished correctly in the fool's eyes. Because Fitz was the one that needed to go up there. He had the skills, the wit and the skill to Mm -hmm. complete the mission in the best way possible. I know it was a bad outcome in general, but the best way possible for that to land. So it was really, really interesting that this was pointed out. And and I I loved the... uh, Loved the theory on this because I could definitely see that being true. Yeah, I'm actually... In shock that we, neither of us thought of it before. Um, so another reason why I love getting your guys' emails, because everybody always thinks of things so uniquely. And I love it. But it is crazy because it kind of makes a lot of sense if the fool is the one behind it. And the scene specifically that Jess was talking about that we see the fool being used by King Shrewd is when King Shrewd is feverish and Fitz is in his mind while he's recovering. Yeah, that's the episode 27 where, yes. So in 27, we get that brief glimpse of Shrewd begging the fool to look into the fates of all the women in this town. And fool does it for him. 
But it also begs the question, how often does <laughs> Shrewd do this? And right. how often does the fool tell him things a little bit differently than they need to be to get his way? Because maybe the fool is, which is not something Jess said. I am positing that maybe the fool said it would only work if Fitz would go there. And that is necessarily true, but not necessarily honest, if that makes sense. <laughs> because it, In twist words, you know, yeah. that's fine. It would be fine if Fitz didn't go, but it would be better if he did. Which I suppose is something Shrewd would take into account. But I do really like the idea that this is all the fool's doing and not at all Shrewd sacrificing his grandson. Maybe yeah. because it makes Shrewd a little bit of a better person. <laughs> and it also, uh, when Fitz does contact you know, Shrewd about this, like, hey, he's fine. I shouldn't poison him. And he's like, no, just do what Regal says. It Yes, it's easy to lean into, well, he just loves Regal and he trusts Regal because he's kind of brainwashed and old and sick now. But right. also that could be what the fool had told him. Like, no, he's like has to kind of follow through with this and just go along. Right. So Shrewd is just like, well, it turns out well for our kingdom. So Right. And maybe Shrewd did want to kill. Honestly, it is the like, best move. Yeah. Like, politically. It, politically, it's the best move. <laughs> if you're not talking Rursk about real people. was awesome. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So cool. Cool theory. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Thank you so much for reaching out, Jess. Yes. And also that is my new personal canon. So thank you. (laughs) We also got an email from Naomi. Uh, Naomi talks about how we're kind of thinking about how Fitz is being treated in episode 81. So this is when he's in jail in Moon's Eye. Uh huh. Um, how we're thinking about it a little wrong. So in this episode, people are not talking to Fitz. They refuse. They can't talk to him. And Fitz is flabbergasted, as were we, that <laughs> that they thought that talking to somebody with wit could be a downfall. And Naomi says that it reminds them of different stories with like Hannibal or other psychotic killers where you have this evil person locked up behind bars They make sure to mention that they don't think Fitz is evil. Just in this connotation, the people would (laughs) think that Fitz is evil. But that you have this evil person locked up behind bars and they can't do anything to you. And yet after talking to people, usually something horrible happens. They have convinced you to do something bad or you are now on their side. And all it takes is a little talking. And that's in our world where there is no magic to influence anything. Yeah, and that's a popular trope in a lot of media. Yeah. And that's because it does play on our willingness to create legends or myths in our minds surrounding the terribleness of this one person. Right. We we try to think of oh, this person is so evil, there's no way they could beat a regular person and do this. They have to have some magical things of persuasion or like, I don't know, some unnatural thing, you know? Not necessarily magic, but just out of the ordinary, you're able to do things that normal people can't. Right. And goes to show that that could be the same thing in the books. Yeah, and it's definitely not a viewpoint that I was thinking of, which I always really appreciate hearing that these people just thought this evil person who literally has magic <laughs> could 
change their minds to do anything. Who knows? That is something I kind of touched on in there, but this was beautifully explained because I kind of touched on like the piebald prince Mm-hmm. Uh, story has been in the background, but this is a way of equating it to real life. You know, present time instead yes. of just a story. So that's it's yeah. awesome point to bring up. Yes. And I butchered it a little in my telling, I'm sure, but I assure you it was written wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> and for our final email, we have a message from another listener, Jess. Different Jess than before. It's <laughs> just a coincidence. Um, but Jess is writing in to talk to us a little bit about episode 47, where we talk a little bit about Fitz and Verity and their weird skill link and then Ketrickin. Those emotions. Yeah the, yeah. the emotions that Verity is finally feeling for Ketrickin. And, and how Fitz kind of shares them but tries to write it off. Um, they do mention that they agree with Nida as they wish Ketrickin and Fitz ended up together. Um, they are a cute couple, so <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, but they were thinking about the duality of characters and how Robin Hobb does that so beautifully and how it made them think about Burek and chivalry and their relationship with patience and made them wonder if there was any of the same feeling share going on when chivalry and patience were together tormenting Burek uh, or something like that right and obviously we don't know how chivalry and Burek shared the skill or what that was like for them and we know that they did and that Burek used to be open to the skill but chivalry has cut him off so it is interesting to think about that potentially this exact situation has happened, but it would be like if Verity and Molly were together instead of Ketrickin, a completely third-party person that also beautiful, just not necessarily. Right. I I was thinking about this a little bit, and I don't know if Beric and Chivalry have the same relationship as, or skill relationship as Verity and Fitz do. Beric was a true kingsman, in the fact that he was a well of strength for chivalry to draw on. And I don't think, I, I could be wrong here, but as far as I'm aware, he did not have his own predilection to reach out with the skill. He was there as a well of strength to be used, and that he could communicate with chivalry, he could use it when chivalry like linked to him, but I don't think he had his own ability to be taught and reach out and connect to things or influence the world with the skill. Also, the thing that Verity is doing with Fitz, I believe, is very unique and does not happen a lot. The riding constantly 24-7. I don't think Chivalry would do that with Beric. There was no need. It was not a wartime. It's not something that he needed to train Beric to be a certain weapon for or learn how to do that with. I just feel like that wouldn't be the same sort of relationship or feeling sharing it could have happened randomly at a couple points but i don't think the constant barrage of it would have happened with right the the same you know intensity that verity <laughs> shared with fitz right so i guess that might be a good thing i i do think it's possible maybe a little bit more so than you not that you're saying it's impossible but i think the fact that they were tethered together and i guess we don't get any other examples of how skilled people work But it seems like once you have a connection to somebody in the skill, that's always a backdoor to the person that you're connected to. I believe that's how 
the fool betrays Fitz later. As Somewhat, have, yeah. Some, but I guess the, I don't the know. The fool kind of gets taken over and right. then, <laughs> then it's, asks Fitz questions. And right, Fitz it's a little different. But yeah, I don't know. So I think... I think it's an interesting theory, and I I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that Robin Hobb had in mind while writing the series, um, because it would be just another <laughs> another duality, another turn of the wheel, and, you know, everything staying the same, past repeating itself, which we see a lot, especially with Burek and Fitz. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> so thank you, Jess. And thank you to everyone who comments and writes in and has thoughts and feelings that you share with us. Uh, we like seeing it all and especially like being corrected. <laughs> Shout out again to Kate. <laughs> and before we end, I do want to say a special thank you to the second Jess there for sending a dog picture. And then also to Stuart on Instagram for sending a t- picture of his dog as well, Kevin. So yes, very cute. Both of them. Yes. Thank you. I am so glad we did this podcast. If only because, you know, every once in a while we get, we get pictures like Elfie and Kevin. Yeah. Know? So cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love all of the pictures of all the pets. It doesn't just have to be good doggos. <laughs> good pups. Real good pups. So Thank you all for listening and chiming in. We enjoy hearing your guys' input. See you next week. Bye.